The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Dr. Ellen Albertson. I always pick myself up, but that's how the groovy stuff happens, right? Sometimes when you you color outside the lines, when you when you're like, I have no idea exactly what I'm doing, and that's when these great opportunities show. When you start with that authenticity, you got to start with like, okay, I'm on my path. I'm being myself. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to be the be miss me. And the secret is that nobody really is looking at you. They're all looking at ourselves. That's it. Sounds like you have a psychology background, so we all know that we're all kind of defining ourselves, thinking about ourselves all the time time. So you start with being yourself. And then that self-compassion piece, which is about loving yourself, treating yourself like a good friend. You know, when you make a mistake, when you take a risk, you can be resilient and, and pop back up. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Ellen, who's a psychologist, registered dietitian, national board certified health wellness coach, and radio show podcast host. And she talks about as the midlife whisperer and an open nester, all kinds of great things today. Let's hear it from Dr. Ellen Albertson. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Dr. Ellen Albertson. Such a delight. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join the conversation. Well, the conversation has so much overlap about rocking your midlife because you are just, I mean, I read this book, you know, pretty quickly. It's brilliant, your book about, and you've come from so many perspectives and what you've put together about all the things that we engage in as open nesters instead of empty nesters is all about the vitality of what's possible in our lives. And it just it, it just moved me in so many ways from all the perspectives. So so give us a little bit of an update about you because you are also at the stage of life where you have adult children. So we kind of can frame where you're coming from, a little bit of your personal update story, if you will. Sure. Well, I am post-divorce. I am engaged. I have a 25-year-old um, and they live in Amsterdam. And I have a 20-year-old, one-year-old who is in Boston and getting his degree in engineering and music technology. So I am definitely an open nester. I love that phrase. And thank you for your sweet words about the my book, Rock Your Midlife. Um, yeah, I'm having a time of my life, even though and I guess another another footnote is that I was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's part of rock and midlife, right? Stuff happens, you know, we, we have to deal with, you know, aging parents and our kids and we're kind of caught in the middle, even though we're open nesters and health issues and all of that, but we can still keep rocking it. I'm having an amazing time. I am loving my life. I'm in remission, feeling great. That was caught early, but yeah, midlife can be challenging as, you know, Brene Brown says it's, it's unraveling that happens. It's unraveling. And you and you discuss the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual in your beautiful book. And and the idea of depression, you know, which is part of what you talk about at the beginning, and that even physically and mentally and and shit happens. Shit just happens. And especially as we get older. And the, you know, the world is is not an easy place to navigate. So all we can do is that I love the way you use author our lives with our own authority. And, you know, some of the consciousness uh, messed up I did in my master's was about kind of like self-authoring. So I love that. 
So, so tell me, so you're, so you're going to get engaged, which must give you a lot of your own oxytocin and excitement of the future. So tell us about how that's going I'm with your partner, how you met, what, how that's coming about, even while you're going through everything you go through. Yeah, well, it's, it's awesome. You know, I met Kenny uh, right in the middle of COVID. So we met in July of 2020. We met online. Like, I think that's the way most people meet online. doesn't have to be the only way, but we met through an organization called, uh, an app called Spiritual Singles. And I had gotten divorced and done some dating and it was love at first sight. He basically came into my apartment with two dozen roses and a cooler filled with produce. So I'm super healthy eater. I'm a dietitian, and I didn't think I would ever meet somebody who was actually can give me a run for my money in terms of how healthy he is. Well, so we have an wow. incredible healthy life. We live on, I mean, it's beautiful. We live on a um, island in Lake Champlain on 10 acres and we grow most of our food. We put up most of our food. We put up probably 50, 60 jars of salsa so far. Right now we are making um, fruit leather from the pears and from the tree next door. What else do we make? Oh my gosh, soups and stews and just having so much fun. We, he bought me a tandem bike but us one and we went biking oh. yesterday on a tandem, which was <laughs> super cool and romantic. Um, you know, we've got boats and we swim and we hike and I have an amazing border collie who climbs trees. Literally, she can go up like 13 feet in, in a tree to get squirrels. She doesn't get them, but she just thinks. <laughs> no, you know, and, and we're both at the same stage, right? He's got um, three kids. I've got two and all of our kids. We have one child who's special needs that lives with us, which is totally fine. Um, he is actually very self-sufficient, but, you know, not able to really be 100% on his own. But he drives and has a job. And then all of our other four kids are off like doing their own thing. And so we're at very similar stages. We like the same things. We never fight. We get along great. And the sex is good too, you know? So it's all, it's all yeah. rocking. Woo! Rocking yeah. it is right. Because you need sexual health is something. It doesn't have to be intercourse or sex the way we had it in our 20s. It's actually much for me wiser and more sacred and in in my own ability to love my body as it is and that's that's the journey that's the, the difficult journey and you've been doing it with so many from so many angles and i mean the opening i'll do in the intro about your diet you have a background in, as a psychologist as a dietitian as as a reiki person and and the fact that you're bringing all of this knowledge and your own experience to this book is what i think is beautiful around this idea of courage which comes from the heart which actually I think you wrote and reminded me that a courage actually means taking the path with the heart. Yes, so, it uh, comes from the French, which is core, which means heart. Oh, so it means we always think of it as bravery, but bravery and courage are really kind of different. Courage is like following what your intuition, your gut, your heart is saying, you need to do this thing, you need to make these changes, or you, you know, I want to do these things, and having the courage to actually follow your heart. And how many of us do that? And so the first step of my book is authenticity, which you kind of touched on, of having the courage to be responsible for your journey and be the author of your existence, the authority on your life. So often we blame situations and people and things outside of ourselves, but really we have so much power to create a life that we love. And, you know, and I wrote the book because we've got this juicy second adulthood, right? We've got this first adulthood where maybe we make some mistakes, we figure things out, and then we kind of get to midlife and we might be going through a lot of things like menopause, divorce, health crisis, empty nest, all of that stuff. But it can be this chrysalis 
So then we get out the other side. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm the butterfly. Like I'm feeling like a butterfly these days. I feel great. I'm enjoying my life. Um, And if you're listening, you can too, but it definitely takes following your heart. It takes courage and it takes work and consistency. It takes all of those things and practice as a muscle. I mean, navigating kind of the, the, I I think you called it the music in our hearts, navigating from the music in our hearts. For me, that sounded like a dance and I love to dance. So I was like, wow, how do we play with things? Like we got so you know stuck in being adults that we had to be serious. So a lot of my work is around play and how do we lighten that load? And so I do believe that that playfulness is the spirit that's calling us. And and in our terms at the Open Nesters, we like to call this act three. And you say chapter two, but the idea is the same thing is that we are now, we've raised our kids. So now we had this younger life. We had these raising kids life, full family in. And now we really have this possibility. And I think your book is just so wonderful for that. Even when we have to, even when it triggers all the doubts, looking at that as a, as a message that you give, you know, guidance through in the book of what to do for that through self-compassion as, a, as also building that muscle and through loving yourself and your body. I, I, I love your, I love your little Japanese one. You just talked about French, but the wabi-sabi, wabi-sabi mm-hmm. yourself. So tell us about that, because I just thought it was so playful and sweet. Yeah, wabi-sabi is a Japanese term, and it actually is a type of of pottery where the pottery that has cracks, that's, you know, been around the block, they fill it in with kind of gold leaf often, that pottery is actually more valuable. It could be very, very valuable. So seeing the flaws in the cracks as what lets the light get in seeing, you know, we so often we think that, oh my God, I got to be perfect. And there's this piece of um, self-compassion. One of the elements is called common humanity, which says that we all make mistakes. We're imperfect beings. We all fail. And so often, you know, when we fail, we either think, oh, this should be happening or we judge ourselves and beat ourselves up and say like, why, why did I do that? It was so stupid. How could I let this happen? It's normal. This is how we grow. This is how we learn. We are imperfect beings. So you take a look at your your flaws as part of like who you are. I mean, a lot of days I'm a hot mess. I do stupid things. God, the other day I was making a, we get these Hubbard squash we grew and they were like 15, 20 pounds and I baked it and I opened it up. I just took a knife and opened it and it was like somebody had just given birth. It just, water was everywhere. (laughs) I'm I'm a little bit klutzy. I'm a little bit, I can be a little bit, you know, of a slob in what I'm cooking and doing things, but it's okay. I'm, I'm having fun. That's part of like me. I'm kind of free and loose and I like to kind of, you know, play by the seat of my pants and like I always pick myself up but that's how the groovy stuff happens right sometimes when you you color outside the lines when you when you're like I have no idea exactly what I'm doing and that's when these great opportunities show when you start with that authenticity you got to start with like okay I'm on my path I'm being myself I don't care what other people think I'm going to be the be miss me and the secret is that nobody really is looking at you they're all looking at ourselves that's it sounds like you have a psychology background so we all know that we're all kind of defined ourselves, thinking about ourselves all the time. So you start with being yourself. And then that self-compassion piece, which is about loving yourself, treating yourself like a good friend. You know, when you make a mistake, when you take a risk, you can be resilient and and pop back up. Right. So it's like with self-compassion, you're like, okay, I still love and care about myself. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm going to be kind rather than critical. I'm going to learn from my experience and I'm going to move on and do things differently the next time. But the, the, the real stuckness happens when we never step outside a comfort zone. That's the biggest issue I see with people at midlife is that they are comfortably uncomfortable 
doing the same things day after day, expecting different results, realizing that life is passing them by because your brain isn't interested in you being happy. Your brain is interested in you staying safe and coloring outside the lines is not safe. You know, the teacher might be like, shouldn't do that. You well, the stay programming. The I mean, we were yeah. born to be more playful and experiment, experimental and, and, th- and, and even run in circles when we're two years old to just, you know, re-stimulate our brain. I mean, because we've thought that we have to do it a certain way. So over years and years, we've gotten in that, that comfort of discomfort, of discomfort of, or discomfort, comfort of discomfort. Yeah. Comfortably comfortable. <laughs> Comfortably discomfort com- about the comfort. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And even in some of the other things you talk about, because I'm like you about little dizzying and disorganized because I like to have fun so much. And yet, so I'm in the moment. And then there are people that that's not how they function. So that's harder for them. And your book structures a way to kind of open that door for yourself because this is a time of life. I mean, in the East, they call it kind of coming back to the spirit, which I will eventually want to make sure we talk about the real soul and spirit. But also the idea of kind of this love and wisdom, the same compassion piece. As we get older, and you talked about how our memory can and does fade, not just the fact that we forget sometimes the things in the refrigerator or things, silly things we do with our glasses on top of our head or where's our cell phone. But as we get older, parts of the little specifics can fade and open a bigger, wider view. And I wonder if you'll talk about that for a minute, because that relates and kind of leads us into our spirit too. Yeah, I think that certainly um, our memory might not be as sharp. And particularly if you're going through menopause and the hormonal changes and being kept up at night, we can have more of those issues. But there also is this wisdom, this deep inner knowing that comes from all of the things you've been through in your life, all of the things that you have learned and incorporated into your being. So it can be a beautiful time. And I've been thinking a lot more too about the memory thing about, I've been thinking a lot about sleep lately. I've read that marvelous book called Why We Sleep and realizing that I think a lot of our memory issues are also due to the fact that we're not processing everything properly because two thirds of people don't get the seven to nine hours a night of sleep. We are actually the only species on the planet that deprives themselves of sleep. So I think we we get a more of a bird's eye, a wider view of who we are and what we're doing here and our connection with all that is. Memory isn't quite as sharp as it was perhaps in our 20s, 30s, but you know, there's a lot we can do to help us remember things. Like when we meet somebody, being mindful, noticing like, who is this person? Maybe coming up with a little phrase or something. Like I met somebody named um, Charlie. And so I think, oh yeah, I I see him on a Harley. I see him like, okay, Charlie is on the Harley. I never forget his name, but I have to work with that, with names. But I mean, it's a trade-off. The interesting thing is that happiness kind of dips around age 48. And we're like stuck in this uh, looking at life passing us by and there's less time in front of me than behind me. And I've got all of these stressors and pressures on my life and I'm not as happy as I'd like to be. But then there's this upswing where we get into our like, you know, late 50s, 60s, 70s, not that it has to wait to them, but you can make the most of this upswing where I think you are wiser. You appreciate life more. You make that spiritual connection, realizing that uh, my life has purpose and meaning and I have love in my life and I'm doing more of those things that light me up. So I think that the um, the sharpness of your brain may come from a very intellectual background and it was always an academic and um I spend more time kind of wandering 
in enjoying nature than I do in, you know, studying and looking at books now. Um, my, my way of, uh, spending time in my life, what I do in my leisure has really changed a lot. And I'm certainly happier than I've ever been. I love it. And that's how I feel in my life. And so the example of that is what we need more of, because obviously this ageist, a very ageist society is just take, can take the wind out of ourselves sometimes when we're not very aware. And that's that mindfulness piece of just checking in that how, how, what am I really able to change, to shift and, and accept in this dance of my life that has so much beauty and love? If you can start with your own self-love, some people have issues with romantic love. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit too, as well. So, you know, when you work with people, um, coming from their own, I, I, I would go back to that wab, that wab, wab, wabi-sabi. wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi, because when I look at myself without that judgment because of those wrinkles and cracks, and that it's part of what makes me, all of my scars, all the little things that I've done that have been part of my own personal journey, as well as looking at my love or looking at a new person with what is it that is that that where's their spark? I mean, you know, look, being attracted to that spark in someone else can help our our um our romantic love and especially our friendships but i want to talk about both so first romantic love like what yeah what well i think that loving you know it starts with loving yourself as you said and it's really we've heard it a lot but you can't love another person until you love yourself when you love yourself you um attract more love in your life um when you're kinder to yourself you're not sort of projecting other things on other people. And the research is really interesting. It shows that the more compassion you have, the more compassion you have for yourself and compassion means to suffer with. So when you are struggling, when you're suffering, you're, you're there for yourself. You're being kind to yourself. You're treating yourself like a good friend, the more compassion you have for other people. And that's the research really shows that the more you work on that self-love piece, the more you have, you know, capacity to love other people. In terms of the romantic love, I think, you know, when I think about my um, initial marriage in my 20s and 30s and 40s, I did not love myself. And I actually married someone who criticized me all the time. And I, you know, it was almost like I needed, I felt like somebody needed to criticize me. The critic is our... Um, the internalized voice of early caregivers, this idea that I had to be perfect and I had to, you know, get in the best schools and make a lot of money and get, the, you know, have the right job and marry the right person, all of these things sort of looking at this need to have this self-critic to keep you in line, to protect you from not having love in your life. So we, you know, we have that when we're, you know, five, six years old, mom says, clean your room, get good grades, you know, finish the food on your plate, but don't gain weight, right? So, and then we, you know, we internalize that voice and we think that we need it to motivate us to move forward in our lives. And then I think we project it perhaps in, in romance and we attract people who continue to criticize us because it's familiar, we don't always attract what, what is right for us. We attract often the brain likes what is familiar. So like with my ex-husband, there was a familiarity that I saw my parents fighting and bickering a lot, that I felt that familiarity felt like I needed to be criticized so that I could get better. But the reality of it is, is when we criticize ourselves, it's very demotivational. De de what happens is we generate cortisol and that cortisol shitstorm shuts us down so that we don't function. So when you start with that self-love, I love myself, then, you know, when I see my partner, and also that, that piece we talked about, about being imperfect, the wabi-sabi, like, you know, his silliness, like uh, the old me would have been like, oh God, can you, can you grow up? Can you stop being so silly? Now I love it. It's just, if something, if something gets under my skin, 
I take a breath and just like, let it go. Life is way too short to, um, you know, criticize or fight. Or I learned a lot from my first marriage and wanted something very different. But I think the romantic piece is really all about um, loving yourself and then treating someone like you want to be treated and also accepting them flaws and all, not wanting to change them. But, you know, certainly if something is bothering you, and I talk about the step six in my book is rehabbing relationships, uh, using things like nonviolent communication, creating boundaries, um, not being a people pleaser, like, yes, working on getting your needs met, boundaries, things like that. Um, but in terms of how you treat the other person in a romantic relationship, you know, not looking to blame shift or criticizing their flaws, but just treating the way that to them the way that you want to be treated and seeing just how um how the synergy that can happen it's like you've got a couple of relationships you each in my relationship with Kenny is like each of us loves ourselves we've each worked and done our stuff we've each done our work so we each have this like i really love myself he really loves himself we really love this relationship that we're building this this wonderful new nest where we love ourselves in this beautiful home that we have. So the relationship's kind of like a different wheel. And then there's the way that we also treat each other and we support each other, but also give each other space. Hi, this is Amir. And I'd like to invite you to explore more on our website. We have many books, recommendation, podcasts, and articles that will help us stay vital as we age. There are a couple of leading apps that are wonderful to start practicing mindfulness. The first one is Calm, and the other one is Insight Timer. If we take a few minutes, sometimes during the day, to practice mindfulness and a little bit of meditation, we will find a lot more appreciation and gratitude in our life. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, we've always heard of these five love languages, but I love having recently read that the sixth one is space. And in our logo, we have this idea that you go out like it's the infinity sign. You go out, you create what's good for you to as your own container to bring back to each other. And and then also we've heard that the relationship is sometimes the, the it's a third thing to feed. So yes, first the self-love, first that. So we have something with which to feed, just like we would, as they say, on a plane by giving ourselves oxygen. It's such a simple thing, and yet we're so hard to practice it on ourselves. All these steps that you give us to find our strengths and even suggestions for all the different places that you can find your strengths and do tests about it so that you build your strength capacity of, of who you are before you can feed anyone else. So this is a chance, amazingly, and, and to rock our midlife that way. And I and I, I value it so much because I do see people not finding that ability to find their love and wisdom and their peace and happiness and joy. And and when the more we can model this, the happier people will be and the better world will have in this, you know, a place that we have to accept sadness and, and doubt also as part of that's kind of the spiritual equation. And I wonder how you um how you help guide people as they get older if they don't have a faith, if they don't have any any kind of connection to their spiritual being, like what are some of the ways that I mean, you had you had an interesting background that I read about with having tried all these, you know, Jews for Jesus. And I mean, you know, having been reeled back because obviously you're a real seeker and I love it. So, you know, from a personal, from a professional coaching and psychologist point of view, how do you help people kind of get to this stage of life with the spiritual guidance and compass? 
Sure. And I want to just emphasize too, that I love that you um, called it a practice because all of these things are practices, yoga, self-compassion, mindfulness, they're things that we practice. We never get anywhere with it. We do it when we do, maybe we get, we get better at it, but we, you got to practice it every single day. So in, in, you know, in terms of the spirituality, first just realize that you are a spiritual being you have a soul it's probably about six feet up above your head every way you want to conceptualize it you are part of everything that is that is the truth of who you are you know you are divinely made we as human beings have this amazing ability to be an animal and a spiritual being we can be creators. And I love this idea of, you know, thinking, ah, oh, it's spiritual. I don't do that. Are you creative? Like, and people are like, ah, oh, I'm not even creative. Did you make dinner last night? Have you created relationships? <laughs> you know, you've created, all of us have created things. Creativity and spirituality, I feel like, you know, go really hand in hand. But first have this understanding that you are a soul having a human experience. Think, oh, I'm a human. And I, maybe I, spirituality is something I do when I go to church or temple on the weekends. But Really, spirituality is so much more and sort of just you can you can use religion as a place to fuel and feed your spirituality if it works for you, but you don't actually even need to be spiritual. I mean, my favorite spiritual place is, you know, walk in the woods, just being there with nature, just seeing just the incredible. And I live, you know, on an island on 10 acres surrounded by deer and foxes and beautiful, you know, plants and matter. And it's just sunsets every night. And I see the sunrise as well. And it just amazes me like, wow, I get to live. I get to connect with all of this. So I think spirituality is finding meaning, finding purpose, being kind to yourself and others. And just realizing that it's more about how you show up. Are you, you know, as a human being, rather than a human doing the 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 quality of what makes you you and what makes you alive and the miracle like thinking about god a, a sperm and a cell united in my mother's womb and then here i am like the, that you know einstein says there's two ways of looking at life as though you know you can look at life as though everything is a miracle and everything really is the fact that we're talking and we've got this thing called the internet that we can connect you know we and people my my podcast i have a podcast called rock your midlife my book people can get it all over the globe all they have to do is just like tune into their favorite platform and they can get it so just really shifting your perspective you know gratitude's another beautiful practice that's been shown to fuel your spirit and, and literally fuel your happiness again being kind to other people making those connections i think we are living in a time where there's such an epidemic of loneliness and loneliness really is like heart disease in terms of making you sick, connecting with other people, volunteering, holding the door for somebody, you know, buying somebody a cup of coffee, calling a friend or relative, you know, maybe connecting with somebody through social media, but there's so many ways that we can, you know, fuel that, that passion, feel inspired, connect with spirit. The, and they come down to sometimes acts of kindness to ourselves around the practicing getting out in nature to me is essential. And I living in New England also this summer, and I had come back from Colombia being with the indigenous people and realizing how connecting barefoot with the earth became a whole practice. And I actually, after doing it for a while, started feeling a vibration under my feet so that it, and then, I, and then someone sent me a video that there's all this research about earthing that's really around anti-inflammation. I mean, health, mind, body, spirit, it's all connected. So, 
when we start realizing coming out into that bigger picture of how it's all connected, it just it's it's so invigorating in our lives at this stage. And and so I already sensed that from your book that that's what it would be like. And I really uh, that's why I'm excited to have this conversation about. How, I mean, and unplugging, you give a lot of different things for people to be able to come into their this practices that they need in their lives from all points of view, unplugging before bed, which we don't always do, you know, um, breathing, as we were just talking about, breath is our soul, so... Oh, and I love that you ground the, the, the it's called earthing the movie. So you can hear all about earthing and all the things it does for you. And, and we are energetic beings. I mean, the heart is both a pump and an electrical device. So your heart is sensing everything that's going on in your environment, you know, your connection with all that is what's going on in your, your body. I mean, we're really, there's a whole organization called heart math out there. That's looking at how incredibly important our heart is like the second brain, or maybe it's even the first brain, but earthing is really important because we are energetic beings and we have a polarity. I mean, if you don't believe me, think about, you came from sunlight, literally either you eat plants or you eat animals that eat plants and all the plant matter on the planet was fueled through the light of the sun. And we do have um, a connection with energy. That's kind of where, you know, the Reiki piece comes in of just um, this divine universal life force energy that is running through us. And we do can do practices like grounding. I do it all the time. It's getting a little cold here. It was 37 this morning. So um, I don't know how much longer I can ground, but I love going barefoot. I can I can walk miles in bare feet, and it really does make a difference in terms of your, your how you feel and how healthy you are. So Actually, my dentist. I went to the dentist last week, and I think like a few years ago, I had all pockets of between like four and five, or three were the lowest, and my pockets in my gums were down to twos and threes. And he's like, "What's going on?" And I sent him the video because it's inflammation. Our body responds. And my my sinuses are not as bad this particular season, I think, because of grounding and earthing. So I am become now, I'm an advocate, but I see it in a spiritual sense in such a big way because when we when we soothe ourselves through noticing and through acceptance, it, it becomes a it, it just becomes a way of being. I love some of the things you talk about around um around soften, soothe, allow. I mean, you had a few ways of trigger. Like I, I like to, I used to call it or I do for some women that if there's a trigger that comes up, what is that trigger? It, it, if you look it in the mirror, we're facing it. We're just looking at it. So when we get out in nature, nature softens us. And so it, it naturally helps us align and just soften that intensity of that trigger by saying, okay, I feel this way and I can still do this right now. What can I do? I think in midlife, especially if people have health issues that focus on what can I do, that mindfulness practice of how can I breathe and and how can I really just notice how to just continue to eat right, which is what you, I know, are huge with if you'd like to address that because that's right from the earth. <laughs> sure. Well, I whole food, plant diet, yeah, yeah. whole food, plant-based diet. It doesn't mean that you need to be a vegan. Um, I'm probably 90, 90%, 5% vegan. I eat that way most of the time, but I do eat animal protein. We grow most of our food. We put most of it, you know, a ton of it up, but, you know, start where you are. So if you're thinking, okay, well, I generally have, you know, a meat-based sandwich for lunch, maybe you know, switch off to a salad. You take a piece of fruit as a snack. And really the research shows that, 
most of our chronic illnesses from chronic illnesses or illnesses like cancer, cancer, heart disease, um, high blood pressure, all of those things are lifestyle related. And if you add more plants into your diet and they displace some of the processed and, you know, heavy duty animal products that you're eating, your health will start to improve. And it's also much better for the planet. As you probably know, you know, beef takes, I think like, you know, it's like 16, um, the, the fuel to make, you know, a hamburger is like eating a hamburger is like driving your car, I think like 20 miles. So it takes a lot more fuel. It doesn't mean you never eat it, but I think about, you know, animal products are kind of sacred. I try to buy them locally. So I know where they're sourced and I'm supporting the economy on the islands. And I use, you know, animal products more like a condiment for flavoring and for some protein. Women at midlife need more protein. We need uh, about one to one and a half grams of protein per kilogram of body weight after age 50. Before 50, it's about um, 0.8. So we do need more um animal, I'm sorry, more protein, which you certainly can get from plant sources. So beans and, you know, some grains, there's lots of things like uh, healthy protein powders that are made from plants like pea protein, soy protein, things like tofu. So you can do it, but we do need to make some shifts in midlife. We need, you know, more, um, a little bit more calcium. We need to make sure we're getting our vitamin D, but it doesn't have to be crazy. And we need to do it from a place of loving ourselves and wanting to be healthy and also hopefully wanting to keep the planet healthy rather than this place of like, oh my God, I've been bad and I need to lose weight. That's the way I used to be. I was a personal fitness trainer in my forties. And so women, we would just, they would come to me hating their bodies. We just like hated our bodies. And we would think, well, when I beat my body up, when I starve my body, when I do these so crushing workouts and I lose some weight and I have a six pack, then I will love my body and myself. We never got there because you're always chasing this crazy perfectionist thing, something you see on Instagram with this, you know, somebody with the six pack abs and the perfect biceps. Now with clients, we start with loving yourself. Let's start with loving yourself and let's eat right and take care of yourself as a form of self-care because you love yourself, not because you've been bad and you need to beat yourself up, but it's a big shift. But again, you don't need to do everything overnight. I'm a big um, proponent of small habit changes, smart goals, so goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-sensitive. They'll get weight loss off your plate. Just if you eat right, you move your body, your body will get to a weight that's healthy for you. Plus also sleep is incredibly important for weight maintenance and overall health and well-being. And interesting, because in the book, you talked about how you, as a personal trainer, I had forgotten that, that amazing other feat of yours, and that men can have this huge belly and they can think that they're the sexiest thing around. And for some reason, it's definitely a societal thing for women that they've really beat, we've beaten ourselves up. And this is not, this is a time to learn how to love ourselves more. And I mean, I want younger women to learn it too. So hopefully we'll be an example to them. We don't, we know that young girls in social media are doing like lip stuff and Botox and who knows what already. So what what can we do as women? And is the next thing I did want to talk about, like what are the some of the things that you're really seeing is the biggest call? What's the biggest need that you want to make sure to convey today um, to our audience? Yeah, it's something you alluded to earlier of just, you know, share your joy, you know, be your joyful self. It doesn't mean, and you know, you had mentioned earlier sort of the doubt and the sadness and the grief. I mean, that's part of being human too. When you're dealing with, when you experience difficult emotions, 
give yourself compassion because you're experiencing, you'll notice that your joy and your happiness will get higher as well. But I think just letting your light shine. So first step is being your authentic self, loving yourself, empowering yourself, um, you know, working on your mind, enlightening yourself. I think when all of us shine as our authentic selves, we give all women of all ages permission to do the same. So, you know, if you, if you like social media, I see so many women on social media who are doing it right. They're showing themselves. They're showing themselves with, you know, whether it's silver hair or wrinkles or, you know, all of the wabi-sabi stuff that we have and real women, women who aren't, you know, supermodels. And I think that that and, and sharing their joys and their sorrows, I certainly been sharing a lot about, you know, my cancer journey and, you know, some of the things I've gone through with empty nests and all kinds of things. I think when we see that other women aren't out there and being perfect, but they're still beautiful, they're still joyful. It gives everybody else hope and optimism and permission to do the same, to be themselves. If everybody was loved themselves and was joyful and was taking care of themselves instead of like trying to be someone else doing the social comparison thing, not at war, right? We need to be at peace with ourselves and not at war with ourselves and at war with other people. So if we are cultivate this sort of peaceful, joyful way of being, um, we can make a real difference in the world. Thank you. Wow. So true. We can make a real difference. And I, and I think that your book can do that. And I, and I want you to just tell people again, the full name of it and how they can get it uh, and how they can reach you, please. Sure. It's Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. And you can start with any of the seven steps. We've alluded to a couple of them, but really any of the steps that resonate with you. There's lots of journaling prompts and it really will help you to, to get unstuck and move forward. It is available on Amazon, of course, and you can also get it if you go to your bookseller and you want to order it. You can get a hard copy um, as well if you'd rather do the, you know, buy it locally. You can also go to my website, which is themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And the book link is there. And I also have a free gift, which is 10 tips to rock your midlife. Lovely. I love all of that. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being with us today. It's been such a joy for me to have you here. This I'm listening to Dr. Ellen, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm kind of victim of, of many of the a problem that she's identifying in this particular podcast, starting with sleep deprivation. And yes, I've been experiencing that lately for some reason or another. Probably pains in my arm, my hands, my wrists, whatever that is. But when I do get to sleep, a full night's sleep, at least six hours, it makes a whole difference for the day. Yeah, she says seven or eight, which not that many of us get. But I, But I do think that we are our, our swings in life are part of also riding it out without I like what she talks about stopping the war against ourselves and the world like that fighting thing exactly and and you actually had a comment about that recently too I think saying that you know when we get angry at ourselves or when we get angry at the world in any way and sometimes exhaustion will do that it doesn't give us that sense of compassion which she talks about so much about well, we we hold we hold it inside, and I felt it uh, recently. I'm holding some anger inside that really got my whole body tied up to the point where it hurts. Well, and also I I know as far as when you're exhausted, it's so hard to do the extra things that you see as things like walking in the woods with me. You don't have the same time I do. I know, but, I know. But all of that, all of the things that get us connected to the human 
experience, the world's experience, the life force experience are all part of what she discusses. And so the steps are really well outlined in the book, by the way. So I definitely highly recommend these seven steps because it's so clear. And I mean, really, even knowing that when we get into our 60s and 70s, there is an upswing in happiness, but we can control that more by creating a, a better way, a better, more resilience. Our caterpillar becoming the butterfly if we're going through a down stage and knowing we're opening. I love, I, I love the idea of, of being coming in our juicy second adulthood, the authority authoring our lives. Authoring our lives. Yes. I mean, we start also with small little bites of fitness and as I'm going back to fitness, I feel how I need to take small bites and really love myself uh, for what I do and just compliment myself to whatever it is I'm achieving rather than trying to be back to the same weights that they used to, etc. Well, even, and even the flaws. I love the wabi-sabi yourself. The wabi-sabi, and, then, I'm, exactly. and then I have to wabi-sabi you and say, okay, so I see the flaws, and I can love them, and I can laugh at them, and I have learned to love and laugh at, with them. So I think that's the practice within partnerships, and relationships are vital at all stages of life. We know that our love relationships, uh, she talks about rehabilitating them in one of her chapters, and all you know, this kind of nonviolent communication is a great skill to learn that we've listened to that audio book and practice that. So we all live and learn, continue to live and learn. I agree. And it's a, it's a never ending journey. Never ending. So exactly. thank you, Dr. Ellen, for this wisdom. Absolutely. Thank you for the insights and to remind ourselves that we are all just human. And speaking of which, we are uh, on our 90th episode here. And we want to thank all of you for getting us to this magic number of 90. Why it's magical, I don't know. I think it is. But I want to thank you. And I want to encourage you to visit our website. Check out our, the resources, especially the one related to aging. And there's so many of them, as I mentioned, in the Explore More section. Please visit us at the website that is theopennesters.com, double N in the middle, S at the end. And subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends because if there's episodes that can help them, we so welcome and really do value the fact that you've helped us grow to be one of the top, we're the top 10% of podcasts. So this is really because of everyone real out there sharing and we'd love to grow our community more on social media. So Instagram, The Open Nesters, Facebook, The Open Nesters. We have a Facebook group page that people are commenting in and we'd love to have your comments. Until next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.